that the person who recites the Quran but does not know the meaning of it, then definitely he has abandoned the Quran. Then he says, a person who knows the meaning but doesn't ponder over it has definitely abandoned the Quran. And then he says that a person who ponders over the Quran but doesn't act upon it, then he has abandoned the Quran. So we see from this that there are four main things that we need in order to make a strong bond and connection with the Quran. The first is obviously to know how to read the Quran by knowing the tajweed and all the rules. Then second is to know the meaning of the Quran. What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us? Then third is to ponder over the Quran. And I'd like to emphasize on this point the most because sometimes when we recite the Quran, we just kind of overlook the main point, which is the message that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to tell us. And then we just read and read and read. Obviously, we'll get the reward for it. But the maqsad is the main goal, the, the purpose of why this Quran was revealed to us was to ponder over it. And to make that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what he's telling us. I'm not saying this. This is mentioned in Imam Nawi's rahimullah's adhkar. He mentions this point over there. Then the fourth point is that a person acts upon the Quran. And if you did all of these four steps that I mentioned, then inshallah, inshallah, he will make a strong bond with the Quran, a strong connection with the Quran. Inshallah, today after Maghrib, Mufti Azim al-Din will be giving his tafsir. I request all of the brothers to participate and use this opportunity for them to make a strong bond with the Quran. And in this way, this will be the success for them in this world and as well in the hereafter. Jazakumullah khair.
Respected elders and brothers, dear mothers and sisters and students, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, most gracious, most merciful, to grant us, who has granted us the ability to sit with the Quran despite our sins, despite our weakness, despite our countless faults, uh, which would definitely be uh, damning for any one of us to be deprived and to become a means of us being deprived from the Quran and to be sitting with the Quran. But it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of His sheer mercy who allows us to, again, sit with the Quran and uh, hold it, read it, recite it, ponder over its meanings, discuss its teachings. And I ask Allah Azza wa Jal that He continue to cover our faults and He continue to bless us to be in the company of the Quran and allow that day to come that we are now in, become, uh, that we are blessed with the vision of the one who sent this Quran. Ameen. We'll recite from uh, verses 4, 5, and 6, inshallah, from Surah Al-Ahzab. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ما جعل الله لرجل من قلبين في جوفه وما جعل أزواجكم اللائي تظاهرون منهن أمهاتكم وما جعل أدعياءكم أبناءكم ذلكم قولكم بأفواهكم والله يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل ادعوهم لآبائهم وأقسطوا عند الله فإن لم تعلموا آباءهم فإخوانكم في الدين ومواليكم وليس عليكم جناح فيما أخطأتم به ولكن ما تعمدت قلوبكم وكان الله غفورا رحيما النبي أولى بالمؤمنين من أنفسهم وأزواجه أمهاتهم وأولو الأرحام بعضهم أولى ببعض في كتاب الله من المؤمنين والمهاجرين إلا أن تفعلوا إلا أن تفعلوا إلى أوليائكم معروفا كان ذلك في الكتاب مستورا Last week we covered the first three verses of Surah Al-Ahzab. And as a reminder that this surah is dedicated to speaking about the virtues of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the status of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, reminding us the important uh, obligation upon you and I and all the entire ummah to venerate and to respect and to love our Prophet Alaihi Wasallam. And it is a very beautiful topic that we can spend in the next few months discussing, learning about the rights of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and how to go about uh, how to go about you know honoring the Prophet alaihi salatu wasalam. I pray to Allah subhanahu wa taala as I begin again today's dars that He allows me to say and share that which I need to hear the most, which you all need to hear the most, and all those who are listening online, whatever you need to hear the most in your life, whatever type of situation you're going through this week. You, your family, your parents, your siblings, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to say those things which ta'ala will become of extreme benefit to you. I mean, this is the niyyah we should all make every single week when we sit here 
Ya Allah, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I, I am sad, I'm anxious, I need, I need, I need something. So you come here with talab, and you know you have these new, water, new type of soda fountains in the stores. Right? And you can get diet, non-diet, orange, cherry, lemon, all sorts of flavors in one place. You wonder how this is happening. Basically, what, how many? 45, 50 drinks, possibly, or more, from that one machine. Yeah? Complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You get in all the restaurants nowadays. So this is what any daras of knowledge is the same. You want a diet, you get a diet. You want lemon flavored, you want cherry flavored, you want, you know, uh, uh, citrus flavored, you want uh, regular water, anything you want. You have to press the right buttons and you'll get it from the same machine. So any dars of hadith, dars of Quran is exactly like that. Whatever a person comes with talab and he says, I want this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him that. So the, it starts off with us. You are the customer, you are the seeker, you have to press the right buttons. And if you press that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you exactly what you need to hear. So just make sure you, you and I come to, to, to the dars. I as a speaker, those of us who are listening here, all of us equally, we come with talab. Ya Allah, allow me to say that what I need to hear the most. Allow me to hear that which I need to hear the most. With that sincerity and ikhlas, if we attend, inshallah, amazing things will happen. So the last dars, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we spoke about the first three verses. I want to just cover and point on some things that we may not have gotten around to discussing. Is the connection between the verses. Ya ayu nabi taqillah. O believers, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do not disobey the disbelievers and the hypocrites. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah kana aliman hakeem. I'm sorry. Wala tut'il kaf. Do not obey. Not disobey. Do not obey the, the disbelievers and hypocrites. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is knowledgeable and wise. So the name, the, the reason any name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or attribute is used at the end of any verse is, is not just haphazardly. There's a reason for it. Although it may seem at times that they're all rhyming and they're all the same, same. I read in one tafsir explaining how certain people they completely do injustice and disobedience and disrespect to Allah when, when they're explaining Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim say ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is the same thing they both mean merciful just ham urdu this and that. This is how Rahman Rahim is. Astaghfirullah. So this is nothing further than the truth in this. Absolutely that is incorrect. Every single name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has its very clear specific explanations and meanings. The depth of, of it which will, books can be written on. So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala write here Alim? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say Alim here? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, do not obey the disbelievers and the believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware of your intentions when you do so. Last week we spoke about not wanting to kiss up to anyone. Not trying to change the deen. Remember the word we use, mudahana. So mudahana is not permissible. Sabko leka channa. Achichi, it sounds good. Tried it, but by some people... If they have, they do not, they completely disobey Allah, dis deny His existence, how are you going to put them under the same umbrella? It doesn't work like that. But when you start trying to do that, you're going to, you're going to force yourself to start doing reform. And this is the issue we talked about politics, we talked about MSA, we talked about all those other type of things. When people get into that, they end up, uh, you know, 
changing their view on many issues because they are trying to accommodate people. Politicians may start off as, maybe some of them start off as sincere good people, maybe. But by the time they get to the top, they become super corrupt because they've lost all of their principles in the whole idea of, I need his dollar, I need his campaign support, I need his campaign money, I need to get his vote. And by the time you get to the top, you've sold your soul, not to one, but to everyone. And you have lost all your principles. So, Allah Azza wa Jal is saying here, do not obey them. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is knowledgeable. Allah knows what niyat you have when you are disobeying them or when you're obeying them. Allah says, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi wa Indeed, all actions are judged by intentions and every person will get what he wishes. So if our niyyah is true, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant us success. And you may think that, how am I going to get success in this regard? Don't worry about it. It'll happen. One, pilot, one young brother was running for politics and he happened to come here. I had to get, I get a chance to sit with him. And what I explained to him is that use your platform that you're running Chika you're running for something but use that as, as bringing some khair in the world awareness to the deen awareness to the principles of the deen don't become a sellout that's a key thing and if all you do is you show people your true color that as a Muslim I am not going to do what others do he's a young man so I told him I know your, 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 your political office where you work I'm sure a lot of stuff lafra happens there Lots of all kinds of stuff happens. You have to be someone who has very high morals that when people see the girls and the guys, the young people and the old sleazy old guys too, they look at you and they say, man, you're different. You're different. And you can say, well, yeah, I'm different because I'm a Muslim. And my iman teaches me that I respect any girl as though she's my own sister until I'm married to her. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna look at her, meaning a look away from her the way I would want people to look away from my own sister. You have that option. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to give bayan a talk. Just your actions should be such in the Capitol Hill, wherever you are going to be right now, is that people should be amazed at your, the way you hold yourself and the way you keep yourself. That itself is a da'wah. Whether you're going to win this plateau campaign or not, Allah knows best. But the fact that you make this niyyah that I want to spread deen through my actions, you have already won the campaign. You already won. Finish. You don't have to worry about it. I'll give you congratulations right now. If you make this niyyah with me, that this is the goal, that I want to revive deen. And I want to bring, like mashallah, our retreat is coming now in the next few weeks. So we, we, I, I was announcing before Maghrib and I'm announcing it now, that we should all try our best. You know, do something. What should you do? Read salawat 10 times. And say, Ya Allah, allow this salawat to become a means of barakah in that retreat. That's not very hard, is it? Fast, you're already fasting, mashallah, yeah, maybe hopefully most of us are fasting Monday, Thursday, or at least this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is the 13th, 14th, 15th of the lunar month. So now when you break your fast, make dua, that Ya Allah make this Bukhari, Bukhatam, and this retreat successful. So I explained to him how we do things over here. I said, this is the secret of success, is when you bring adhkar and a'mal behind everything. The, the, the strength of the car is not on the bonnet, it's not through the tires. It's not through the flashy paint. The strength of the car is the hidden engine within it, beneath the hood. And so the hidden success that lies in our programs, or any program for that matter, 
is the dhikr of Allah that the brothers do and the sisters do in the re personal relationship they have with Allah. You're opening up a business. That's exactly what's going to make you successful. It's going to make your business fly. Every single day you're going to pray Ishraq Salah. Every single day you are going to send salutations to the Prophet Every single day you're going to give sadaqah at 5 a.m. Right? Fajr time. 4 a.m. Whatever. Ya Allah put my put success in my business. Show me. I challenge you that you have a failing business. When a person does use, use these asbab and these means. But unfortunately, they want something else. Quick, quick, easy fix. Someone says, I, I want to get my son enrolled in the HIFS program here. It's a very common thing. Alhamdulillah, it's good. We need HIFS teachers. HIFS teachers. We are right now, mashallah, over 30 students right now waiting to get enrolled. So HIFS teacher, I have no idea. If I had my way, I'd have it by Isha. So you, you want your son enrolled, you feel the pain. Why don't you pray two rakat salah every day? Can you do that? Nah, next or what are the other options? No, there is no other option. This Allah said, anything you want to do, you want your son to get into college, you want your daughter to get into a Fulan program, you might turn to Allah, give sadaqah, give, do dhikr, pray two rakat salah al-hajjah, have the family together collectively making dua, here you'll see it get stuff done. Why is it that we're always shortchanging Allah Azza wa Jal? Put him in the last. We want all other tarkeebs, all other means and ways, but when it comes to the actual turning to Allah aspect, we don't like that. I had recently, I told someone, I gave him adhkar to, I can't do anything. I said, what do you mean? I just told you, this is the adhkar you need to do. This is the salah you need to pray. And if you do it with conviction, your problem will get solved. I sat with you 45 minutes. Why are you saying I didn't give you anything? I gave you all of this information. Why are you saying you didn't get anything? We don't have conviction that through a'mal, through afkar, our problems will get solved. This is the condition of myself and the rest. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm talking about myself here. We're very weak. We need to start reinvigorating re 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 our yaqeen in our heart and saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at our niyyah. If our niyyah is strong, and we bring in a'mal and afkar with that, amazing things will happen. So I was saying to those people who are, who are running for political offices, Muslim brothers, that please bring in dhikr in your campaign. Like you have to have by the end of next week, you need to have this many votes, this many dollars raised. How, how about you say also, I need to have this, this, many, this many salawat and this many people. And inshallah, Nabi Wasallam said, um, whoever revives my sunnah at a time when there's corruption in my ummah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him a reward in one riwayah reward of a shaheed in another riwayah he'll have a reward of 100 shihada if this, if this is not the time when the, if the fitna then you tell me what's fitna We're in the, we are in the core of fitna right now one of my ustad's sons shared with me uh, a, a audio clip that I shared with some of you today and it's it is really powerful and it makes a person get you know to get goosebumps 100% you'll get goosebumps if you listen to it and it's one of the ulama of Pakistan Mufti Saeedullah so in his bayan short clip he says that a lady recently came to him and said, a very pious, righteous lady of the village came to him and said, Mufti Sahib, you know, I had a dream. And I would like you to interpret the dream. 
And in the dream, she says, she saw the Holy Kaaba. And subhanAllah, she had the ziyarah of the Prophet He is standing there inside the Haram, inside the Kaaba. Which is amazing. But the next part is very sad. At his feet lies a body, a corpse wrapped up in the kafan in the shroud. And the Prophet is telling this lady, I want you to take this body from here. And this is the body of Uthman bin Affan. Take this body from here and bury it in Jannatul Baqiyah. Now, we all know Uthman is already buried in Jannatul Baqiyah. We definitely know he's not in the, in the Kaaba. This was a dream. So he shared it with Mufti Sahib and said, What is the interpretation? He said, I thought about it, I thought about it all day. Now, what is Uthman bin Affan known for? Charity, charity for sure. And what's the other thing? Modesty. We know this or no? Very well known for modesty. To what extent? That the Prophet ﷺ said that the angels have haya from Uthman. The angels. This is Uthman. We need to now act a little bit different now. Allahu Akbar. The angels have haya and feel bashful in front of Uthman ibn Affan. Nabi ﷺ was sitting with his shin exposed. You know, shin exposed when his, when his pants were up. Hi, Abu Bakr al walked in. He sat relaxed. You know, take lagakar, Aram sat relaxed. Then Umar walked in. He didn't change his posture. When Uthman walked in, he sat upright. He covered up his, himself properly. So Abu Bakr daughter, his wife Aisha Allah says, well, How come you didn't do that for my father? How come when my father walked in, you sat relaxed? When Umar walked in, you sat relaxed? When Uthman ibn Affan walked in, you sat upright like this? Nabi Alayhi said, What should we do? He is the man that even the angels have haya from. So we have to act a little bit different in front of him. Basically, the gist of what Rasulullah said. So, Mufti Sahab told that lady, he said, he's saying this into the bayan, to his community. He says, it came into my heart. And this is the interpretation. That haya will be lifted away from the haram. And it will be lifted away via women. And he said, then the very next day, I saw the picture. And I'm sure many of you have already seen it. It's about two weeks ago. The Saudi government minister released a, ministry released a picture of the haram with now the security force. The police in the mataf are women wearing normal police uniform. Normal tight-fitted police uniform without niqab, with just their scarf and tight clothing in the mataf, right around the Kaaba. And the picture shows a police officer standing there, female police officer, with men right behind her. Umar, People are doing Umrah with their ihram on, doing tawaf, and she's standing there. And what is the, uh, the responses to that? MashaAllah, great, this is equal rights for women. Great, we have the women now doing security in the mataf. He said, the next day I saw this picture. So he was asking the crowd to make lots and lots of istighfar. And genuinely allow our hearts to cry because we are in, in the eye of the storm right now. The fitna we're seeing right now is unbelievable. That even the haram has not been spared. And we will continue to see. I'm one of those people who's always watching this. And I've shared with certain people from amongst here and my students. Continuous developments over there. That's a great way to measure the thermometer of the ummah is what's happening in, in that part of the world. So I'm always keeping an eye of the continuous changes that are taking place over there. And so... You can, be alert, you can be aware that the next weeks and months and years will show ajib things. Many more ajib things are going to come. So this is the asbab of the adab of Allah. What are you going to say? These are the means of bringing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's adab. 
You don't have, you know, when they say that when you bring a man and a woman together, then shaitan also says, peace out, I'm, I'm done. I, I don't need to worry. Thank you for taking care of my work. Let me move on somewhere else. You have nothing, he has nothing to do. Already the, the, these two will create their own fitna. And the worst of the worst things will happen. That's all you got to do. And now you commit a sin out here is one thing. You commit a sin in the special muqaddas and sacred precinct of the haram. Imagine what if, if the arsh of Allah is not going to shake, what's, what will happen? That right around the Kaaba, if sin is going to start taking place. It was already taking place within those hotels. It was already taking place within, the, within that, we know for sure. But now it's happening within the actual, you opened up the doors for that. Open up the doors for that. So we are now in a time of fitna. So if you revive even one sunnah, my dear beloved brothers, you can get someone to cover their head when they come to the masjid, when they pray the salah. You can get someone to do the miswak. You can get someone to lower their gaze. You can get someone to speak nicely to their mom. You can get someone to speak with love to their father. You can get someone to be kind to their wife. You can get someone to pat the heads of orphans. You can get someone to smile. Anything you can. Someone who's not doing it, you can get them to do it. Do it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you unbelievable amount of rewards. Because we are now in the eye of the storm. We are facing ajeeb levels of fitna. And it's only going to get much, much more difficult and much more challenging. If someone does something wrong and everyone says, Hey, this, what are you doing? Okay. But if all the people are saying, I watch all, all these things on Twitter. When any of these, these new announcements come, did you hear another announcement that was made this past week? Adhan and Iqama is going to be made only on the on the microphone, all salahs in the haramain, and I'm sorry, in the entire kingdom, no longer you can hear the salah on the mic. It's disturbing or it's not respectful to the salah that salah is being performed and people have to hear it if they're not performing it. So this is a verdict they passed and it's already they started become, it, started, it was already implemented this week. Okay, so where is that headed? The music, of course, they, they stopped, they, they were opening up many, many more concerts, but when it comes to this, this they're shutting this down. So it's, wake up. Wake up, we have to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in, with tears and lots and lots of abundance of istighfar. A'malukum, a'malukum. Your leaders are a reflection of your actions. That's what the Prophet ﷺ, just of what he said. Your leaders are a reflection of your actions. Our actions are, have been very weak and hence such leaders are coming that are even going to make it harder. So we are speaking about Aliman. Allah Jalla Jalaluhu, He is knowledgeable of your niyyah why and when you'd obey a believer or disbeliever and why and you when you dis disobey a, a believer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then the next ayah said obey that which you have been revealed to you from your Lord okay Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is well aware of what you're doing how is the connection with the previous ayah over here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hakim he's very wise in his actions he's knowledgeable of your intentions very wise uh, in his actions he's telling us O Rasulullah, and in turn all of us, obey and follow that which has been revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay, and then have mercy and tawakkal Allah, and then put your trust in Allah. So that tells us that when, in order to fulfill a command of Allah, sometimes my beloved brothers and sisters, it will require a leap of faith. We don't understand. If I obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I will lose money. If I obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my, my uncle, my aunt will get upset at me. If I obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my spouse will get upset at me. Obey Allah and have, have your reliance upon Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not let you go down. Allah will never let a person go down. 
it is easier for the heavens and the earth to fall down and be destroyed than for a person who, cling, who clings to Allah and Allah to forsake him. Allah will never forsake him. But he says, rely upon me. When are we going to rely upon, upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? When you and I say, we will not care what people will say if, in, if, if, while obeying Allah. Allah Azza wa says this in, in the sixth juz in Surah uh, Ma'idah. The true believers, they are those who do not, who are not afraid of the reprimanding of a reprimander. Allah ke khatir, jo unko daatega, gali dega, they don't care about that. For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, accept it. Dekho bhai, if someone wants to get married to a, someone, he, hame kehte hain, boys come and tell us, we will do anything. Oh, the father is swear at us, okay fine, we'll listen. Fulan, we don't care, we just need to get, we just need to get married. We will make bardash, we will make sabr. Look what happened in the story of Shu'ayb He ended up, Musa worked for him for 10 years. He worked for him for 10 years, then he got, he got, he got Rukhsati with his wife. 10 years, right? He worked in the, for Shu'ayb before he got married to his, before he, was, before he moved out with his wife. Shu'ayb daughter. So people are willing to withstand and make sabr with difficulty in order to get married to someone. In or, why don't we say Allah ke khatir mujhe zillat bardash karna ye maqbool hai ye acceptable hai that in order for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if I have to become disgraced so be it I'm not doing it for my wife and my kids people do it for their jobs how many people for their jobs do have to do customer service call people and Udar say every, every other call someone's hanging up someone's cursing them how many people stand up trying to get people to sign up for their credit cards in the airports every person just walking by not paying attention to them but it's your job, basically you're getting paid 10, $20 an hour, you have to do it. But for the sake of Allah, why, don't we, why do we have a hard time saying that I'm going to get disgraced? No problem. When you hand out a flyer outside, try that this Friday. Try handing out a flyer outside of, of the masjid for the, the retreat or whatnot. You'll see. <laughs> try to do parking, help out in the parking. You'll see. It's fine. For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, people will ignore you. People will give you names. People will yell at you. It's fine. Because you're doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the key thing. If you do stuff for the sake of Allah, and then you rely upon Allah, Allah will not let you down. And this is a very beautiful, uh, I won't say a, a, a hadith, but a statement, mashaAllah wa ta'ala, that's beautiful, I'll share with you, that kind of gives you the gist of it. It's as though, it's as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Ya Abdi, O my servant, Anta Turid. You have a wish, wa ana urid, and I have a wish. If you submit to me in what I am asking from you, I will take care of all of what you want. And if you do not submit to me in what I'm asking from you, I will tire you in trying to achieve what you want. But at the end, only what I want will happen. I will make you tired in trying to achieve. It's like your wheels will be spinning. They're not going anywhere. Whatever I will, will happen at the end. If you had simply just said, Ya Allah, I'm ready to work with you. I'm ready to submit myself. I would have eventually given everything you wanted. Your, your kids, they say, Baba, I want this. Okay, this is the time for homework. This is the time for cleanup. This is the time for play. You'll have your time for play. You'll get your gifts, but just do this. Some kids, mashallah, they understand and they follow. And they have their fun. They have their play. They have, their kid, they have everything. But then there are others, they'll know. They'll fuss and they'll fight. And they won't do their work, they won't clean up their room, they won't do anything. Akhirmi, you get upset and say, all right, it's time to go to bed, nine o'clock, go to bed. No playing, nothing. 
Why? Well, you didn't have to do this. You could have just done what I asked you to do and you would have gotten everything that you wanted. Yeah, it would take another one hour, but you would get everything. You would get your ability to play, you would get ability to, to do what you want before you go to bed. But because you could not listen, now you're going to bed before and, and you're angry and you're upset and you haven't been able to achieve anything. This is, just like our kids don't understand parents, guess what? We don't understand Allah. Say Batina. As one parent one day told me, when his, when his child was very disobedient to him, and he was very, 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 very hurt at the extreme disrespectful manner that the child spoke, not child, adult, an adult, spoke to the parent. And if it was you and I, we don't know what you and I would have done in the fit of anger, I promise you. You know, in something like this. But subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved that individual. And he said, immediately I reflected over myself and my relationship with Allah. And he said, how many times I have disobeyed Allah much more than this? And how much more rights Allah has upon me than I have over my child? Yet Allah did not destroy me. Allah did not decapitate me. Allah did not pull out an arm. Allah did not allow my car to be, grow, go on fire when I'm driving it. Nothing. Allah allowed my day to go like the rest of the days. La ilaha illallah. And why is it that now I'm flaring up the way that my child is being disobedient to me? SubhanAllah. How blessed are such souls. When they get tested like this, at this time Allah allows them to remember things like I'm sharing with you. And so these are very blessings of Allah that we are able to reflect on our own selves and our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, I will make you tired in trying to achieve what you want and at the end only what I want will happen. Next, it continues the statement. I have an obligation upon you. And I will take care of your sustenance. You have something to do, I have something to do. I will take care of your sustenance, you take care of the obligations I've given you. I take an oath on my honor and my greatness. If you are not going to be content with what I have distributed and divided for you, then I will send down the, the fikr and the gham and the hum and the worry of the dunya upon you. I will allow it to pour down upon you. That you will race and run to gain that dunya the way the animals in the jungle run. The way, the, the way thousands of deer run, running after their risk, I'm going to make you run, run, run after the dunya. And at the end, you will only get that amount which I had already destined for you. And I don't care. And at that time, you will become extremely despicable in my eyes. Does it make sense? So the idea is that a person needs to have tawakkul. Do not think that if I, if I uh, uh, you know, study the deen or if I, if I do good, good effort, uh, if, I, if, I, if I do some deeny effort, I will be homeless and foodless. No, my dear beloved brothers and sisters, I encourage you to encourage your own children to study the deen. For Allah's sake, stop thinking that Allah will keep your sons who study the deen starving. Just today in this class, today in this morning class, in Bidayatul Hidayah class, I shared a story and subhanAllah, a beautiful statement of Imam Ghazali rahimahumullah and tawakkul. Imam Ghazali rahimahumullah, he says, uh, he says, the etiquette with Allah is al-iyasu min al-khalq, that you completely give up hope from people. Allah ke saath adab yehi hai. Okay, I'm so up. Let's give you examples. You're with your dad, I'm with my father, you're with father, whatever. And you're, he's standing next to you, little kid. 
your, I'd say your child is with you. And he says, he sees another eight-year-old. He says, hey, Muhammad, come over here. He says, what is it? He said, can I please have a dollar from the vending machine? You're standing next to him. Your son is there and he's asking some random Ajnabi person for a dollar. I'm dead. I'm standing right there. Why, why are you not asking me? I am your father. Why should I not give you the dollar for the vending machine? Why are you going asking some random kid in the masjid for money? Some random uncle. Think about that. Some random uncle, a person comes. That's why someone said, imagine you come home and you see your wife at the neighbor's house. Say, so what is that? Oh, I, want to, you know, I wanted to get some milk. Some random Ajnabi non-Muslim neighbor. You, would you not get upset? Why are you not telling me? Your husband is alive. He's coming back from work. He can get you whatever you want. Why would you go to some random person's house? Someone you don't know. And just say, can I have, please have some milk? We're out. You know, for example. He's like, you'll have, you'll, you'll have this natural jealousy and anger. Why are you going to someone else? Allah is above and beyond all examples. But to understand when Allah sees you and I turning to the creation, not turning to Him. When He knows, and, he, and it's the truth, that 100%, even that person, if He gives you anything, it's only because Allah will allow Him to give it to you. Otherwise, Allah can make Him run away from you. Why? Why don't you go to the original source? So, Imam Ghazali says, the etiquette with Allah is... Give up on creation. Give up on creation. No one will do anything for you. Mulatanwi says this. The root cause of all fights and arguments in the whole dunya is what? Is having unnecessary, useless expectations, unfounded expectations from one another. Everyone thinks my wife is going to be like this and she doesn't turn out like that. The wife thinks that my husband's going to be like this. He doesn't turn out like that. Maybe he's like that, but maybe like 95% of what khayali palaw she had in her mind. You know what I mean? 95% of what she imagined. And then they start arguing, but why isn't it like that? So where, where did the fight start off from? From false expectations. You heard this before? False expectations is the root cause of all arguments. Then Imam Ghazali says, after leaving, uh, leave, having no hope on people, he says, the etiquette, Allah adab kya hai? The etiquette with Allah is that you completely rely upon Allah's grace, knowing that the choice that Allah will make for you will be the very best choice. You hear this? The etiquette with Allah is you have 100% reliance upon Allah, knowing that the choice He will make for you will be the best choice. Right? So, Reminds me of the days when we were teaching Hivs in 2006 before we moved to Lombard area in another part of Illinois. And we were teaching Hivs there and I started the program. This is a 2006 story. So we had started a summer Hivs program and we're hoping after the summer Hivs we'll, we'll move on to a full-time Hivs program. That would be the beginning of DS in that part of the state. So as the summer program ended, I was speaking to the parents. One child was extremely intelligent. He had memorized a good portion of, of, of 30th Jews over the summer. And I saw a lot of potential in him. And I told him, his dad, MashaAllah, this kid is ready to go for his. Why don't you keep him here? There was on the other hand, a child who did not show the potential and wasn't interested either. And I told his dad, I think it's best that he move on to school. Now they both came from complete opposite families. One came from an extremely wealthy family. Father was a working high-end working professional. When he heard this story, and the other one came from a factory worker who was earning minimum wage, lived in an extremely, extremely humble home, drove an extremely humble car. 
So this one who came in a very high-end car and whatnot, he'd come drop off his son. When I told him this, his answer was, if he stays with you for his, it'll take him maybe two years, three years. He will fall behind in his junior high. Then he'll fall behind in his high school. And then he'll find, fall behind in his admission into college. And then he'll fall behind in his postgraduate. And then he'll fall behind in getting a job. His whole life will fall apart if he takes out two years to memorize Quran. Okay, I tried to explain it. He didn't listen. And he pulled his son out and he left. The other hand, this other brother, whose son wasn't doing so well, and who lived, who worked as a factory worker, he kept on begging me to say, no, let my son do hivs. And then he told me, I don't want him to just do hivs. I want him to do, become, do the full alim course, seven, eight years, no problem. And look what he said. That person who Allah had blessed him already with thousands and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. If his son literally, if his son didn't work for the rest of his life, wallahi, he wouldn't be a problem. He could just study the deen, teach the deen, he would have him set. But because a person has, was materialistic in his, in his, in his, in his vision, that he's just he's so scared that poverty will come, poverty will come. If I don't immediately pull my son out and put him into college, we're all going to become poor. We're going to lose everything. That is the azab in the dunya. When you become materialistic, this is what happens. You get deprived of the deen and you think that you're going to become poor if you do anything good. And the other one who had nothing, he told me, he said, he said, I have nothing and, and I am living, I'm not hungry, starving. I have no dini education, no dunya education. If my son becomes an alim and a mufti, oh Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, keep him, Allah will make him go hungry. And, and this when I realized decisions of who studies the deen was not made from on top. The decisions of who studies the deen and who doesn't. Who is inspired to study the deen and who's not. Whose parents allow them to study the deen or not. This all comes from Allah Azza so my beloved brothers, we should all desire, Ya Allah, accept my children for the khidmat of deen. Say Ameen. Accept all, or may Allah accept every one of us here, our kids, our grandkids, to become from amongst the students of knowledge for the rest of our life. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from becoming amongst those who fear poverty more than we fear Allah. Right? May, may we fear poverty of the heart, not the poverty of the pocket. Because that is something that is definitely the biggest thing. And this is one of the du'as of the morning du'as and the evening du'as. Allahumma ni adu al-kufri wal... Fakr. Ab log samajhte hain ki fakr ke maane gharib gurbat hain. Nabi sallam without being disrespectful at all to Rasulullah sallam. The minimum wage person, no. The man who's on food stamps, no. The one who is, yani the lowest person who's earning in this entire city of Chicago area. Look at what he has and look at what Rasulullah had. Rasulullah sallam most definitely had in terms of materialist things less. Which find find us an average person who say you know that we're trying to help out that who can say that you know for one and a half month I have not had a piece of bread. One and a half month, the stove, hasn't, the stove hasn't been turned on. One and a half month, not having a meal. Entire life, never having eaten bread or meat together on one day. This is Nabi Sallallahu life. That Nabi Sallallahu when he's performing salah, and Aisha Allah is sleeping, he cannot do sajda with her lying down. He has to signal for her, touch her feet, for her to pull in her feet so he can make sajda. That is how small his house is. So Nabi Sallallahu was scared of poverty. What, is, what are we speaking about here? We're talking about the poverty of the heart. Poverty of the heart. When you become greedy and when you are always looking at what others have and never content with what Allah has given us, this is the, this is the worst type of poverty. And this is what Nabi Sallallahu taught us to seek refuge in Allah Azza wa Three times in the morning, three times in the evening. Allahumma ni'adul kufri wal-faqr. Wallah, I seek refuge in you from 
Kufr, ungratefulness and fakr. Now that makes sense. Why Allah SWT put fakr in the level of kufr? Subhanallah. So this is where Allah SWT said, وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَكِيلًا Allah SWT is sufficient. Let us move on to today's ayats. مَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِرَجُلٍ مِنْ قَلْبِ Can someone switch on the fan? Bilal, put the fans on there. مَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِرَجُلٍ مِنْ قَلْبَيْنِ فِي جَوْفِهِ Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala did not make two hearts for any person. Let's go through the translation. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has not made for any man two hearts in his chest, in his cavity. Nor did he make your wives with whom you subjected to the bihar, your mothers. Nor did he make your adopted sons, your real sons. That is merely a word uttered by your mouths. And Allah says the truth and he shows the right way. Three things have been mentioned in this verse. Previously, Allah Jalla Jalaluhu told Rasulullah do not act upon the advice of the disbelievers and do not be cajoled into what they want to achieve. And in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet وسلم, that these are three principles. These are three principles that the, the people of Jahiliyyah had, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted Rasulullah to break. Three, not principles rather, three habits. What was the first habit? They used to say anyone who is very smart, he has two hearts. But then they used to just come up with that. That's why he's very smart. He has two hearts. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negated that. First thing. Number two, they used to have a principle that, who, that you could call, you could give a similitude of your wife to your mother. You heard this before? And they would sell, say to their wives, Anta, anti wahri ummi, or anti batni ummi. You are like the stomach of my mother, you are like the back of my mother, you are like fulan part of my mother. And this was called vihar. Okay? This is called the vihar. And, and in vihar, what would happen is by saying this, this person would become haram for the, uh, for the husband forever. That's what they thought. So the Quran revealed the verses to say, not, this is haram to say, absolutely not permissible to do this to your wife. And if you were to do it, that, that doesn't mean they become impermissible for the rest of their life. There is a method of how you get yourself out of that, which is fasting for 60 days in a row or freeing a slave. Um, then the third custom that they had is that they would have ab adopted children. They would have adopted children. And these adopted children, they would say, are just like our normal children. So like an adopted child would be like a normal child, Bamane, you will get inheritance from him. He'll get inheritance from you. Every single thing will be normal. Uh, all the, the rights and responsibilities will be there. Similarly, what else is there? If he gets married and then he divorces that lady, she, you can never get married to that lady again. Like you cannot get married in the Islam. You cannot get married to your daughter-in-law ever. Even if your son divorces his wife, you, the father-in-law can never get married to the daughter-in-law forever. So they would have these rules that they came up with. 
Islam destroyed that. Third one. And Islam said that an adopted son is like not a normal son. A son that is from lineage. Cannot, you cannot be the same. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is refuting this. Allah has not made for any man two hearts in his chest. What is the sabab al-nuzul? What is the background of it? It's mentioned that Jamil bin Ma'mar al-Fahri was a very intelligent person. And so Quraysh said, this man is able to memorize everything he hears, like photographic memory. And then he used to say, in lali qalbain, I have two hearts. I understand through each one of these hearts more than Muhammad understands. Meaning, I am more intelligent than Muhammad Sallallahu Badrin, When the day of Badr took place and the Mushrikeen were defeated, Jamil bin Ma'mar was one of them. Alright? So then, they found him walking around. He was lost prisoner of war. He was holding on to one of his shoes in his hand and was walking with one of his shoes. One shoe on his foot. He was a kafir himself. What's wrong? How come you have one, hand, one, one foot, one shoe in your hand and one, one, sh one uh, uh, shoe in your leg? Right? I didn't realize that. I thought I'm wearing both shoes. So then, That day they realized if he really had two hearts, he wouldn't have forgotten that he had one shoe in his hand instead of his foot. Okay, so this is that story of this disbeliever. So Allah Azawajal says, this is useless. And it is obviously you know that this is fake. No one has two hearts. Okay, that's one meaning. Second explanation that we can say here is that you cannot do two things at the same time fully. This is beautiful. That it's not possible that you eat the cake and have the cake. Very important for all of us to understand. That people say, deen or dunya lekar chalna hai. Best one. As everybody say, the best one. We have to have the balancing act between the deen and the dunya. Balancing act. Yadrakna, my beloved friends, my dear listeners. The rule is you can only do one thing at a time. Your heart has space only for one thing. Especially only one thing if it includes two opposites. Dunya and akhirah are two opposites. You cannot have dunya and akhirah together. It doesn't work, I'm sorry. Allah and makhluk are two opposites. You cannot have Allah here and akhirah here. Love for halal and love for haram together is not going to happen. Not going to work over here. You understand? So that's why the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ comes. What is that? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, Man ahabba dunyahu adhurra bi akhiratihi. Woman ahabba akhiratahu adhurra bi dunyahu. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Whoever loves the dunya, very important hadith, whoever loves the dunya will harm his hereafter. And whoever harms, oh, sorry, whoever loves his dunya, he will harm his hereafter. Whoever loves his akhira will harm his dunya. Yeah, hoi ni sakta. Kini dono ko barabar lekar chalinga. Then I'm going to have both of them. This is all false, farce, useless garbage. I want to I either be, either be. I got to keep, I got to keep my, I got to keep my relatives who, who disregard the Sharia. The weddings are happening in June and July. Unko bhi khush rakna hai. Allah ko bhi khush rakna hai. Nee bhai, nee ho sakta sa. You can't. You choose. You have to choose. I'm sorry. You have to choose who you're going to keep happy. If you want to pray in the front row, then act like you're in the front row. 
Don't pray in the front row and do something else outside. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept only one spot in this heart. So if we are going, what did the hadith say? If you love your dunya, you're going to harm your akhirah. Someone says 8 to 5, I'm in the dunya. And then after that 5 to, eight, 5 to 8, also I'm in the dunya. And then 8 to 12, also I'm in the dunya. And inshallah, I'll show up for Juma and expect my akhirah to be protected. It's not going to happen. On the other hand, someone who says, I want to make some sacrifices for the deen, but I don't want my, my dunya to take a hit. It doesn't work like that. You, may, you have to be willing for your dunya to take a hit. You have to. And maybe Allah will maybe not test you like that. But when you sign up, you have to willingly sign up that I'm ready to take a hit in my dunya. Because I love Allah and akhirah more than my dunya. And I'm ready to make sacrifice. Okay. Then the Prophet ﷺ gave us a very logical way forward. He said, Give preference to the what is everlasting over that which is going to perish. Give preference to that which is everlasting over that which is going to perish. What's everlasting? So give preference to that. So next time you have to make a decision regarding your job, your work, your school, your dini commitments. Remember this ayah. This heart can only take one. If you have Allah in here, nothing else will come in there. And if you have something else in there, don't expect Allah to fit in there. The next part about dhihar, let's speak about that. This, this has been discussed in detail. This has been discussed in detail where? In Surah Mujadala. Have you heard this surah? قَدْ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ قَوْلَ الَّتِي تُجَادِلُكَ فِي زَوْجِهَا وَتَشْتَكِي إِلَى اللَّهُ Allahu Akbar. Very powerful story. There was a lady whose husband uh, decided to do vihar with her to say that you are like my mother and made, make her haram. There are all different types of zulm that people do. Women do upon men and men do upon women. So when a man did not like his wife, he would just say this. And Allah is watching. Allah watches every relationship. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save every one of us from ever, ever becoming an oppressor in a relationship. And may Allah save us all from becoming oppressed as well. But it's most definitely better to become oppressed than an oppressor. Being oppressed, you have to suffer for a few years in this dunya. Being, being an oppressor, you will have to suffer for eternity. So, this man, he got upset at his wife. And he, uh, he said this to her. You are like the back of my mother. Made her haram upon himself. So then... She came to the Prophet ﷺ complaining. And she said, Ya Rasulullah, my husband, she said very powerful words. My husband, when I was young, he got me married. And I gave him my stomach, my, mother, my womb. I gave him my womb. And I gave him so many children, children after children. I gave him my whole body until my body lost its, all its strength, lost all its beauty. And physical strength, and I gave him whatever he wanted. And now, when I've gotten old and I've gotten all these children, he decided to do this to me. I don't know what to do. If I leave my children with him, they won't be taken care of. If I take my children with me, they will be hungry, because I don't have the means to support them. Nabi Alayhi said, I don't have an answer. I'm sorry. 
it is what it is with Vihar, because that's what Vihar was at that time. Aisha radiallahu anha says, she could, you know, she was sitting there in the corner while this whole incident is happening. And she's seeing Rasulullah saying, I'm sorry, I really can't do much. And all of a sudden, this lady starts crying. Gets very emotional. And as she's getting emotional, the Prophet is going through a very special trance-like state. The athar and the effects of revelation became apparent on his body. And Jibreel Amin came immediately with revelation. And the verses, the powerful verses of Surah Mujadala were revealed. Maybe we can cover that some in some tafsir. Indeed, Allah has heard. Indeed, Allah has heard. Allati, that lady. The statements of that lady who is arguing with you with regards to her husband. And the one who is complaining to Allah. Say, Ya Allah, come on, you have to make a plan out for me. What am I supposed to do? My husband did something stupid like this. Right? Now I'm stuck. How am I supposed to handle this? Allah says, Wallahu yasma'u tahawrakuma. You, Aisha in the corner can't hear what's happening. Wallahu yasma'u tahawrakuma. Allah is listening to your conversation. Rasulullah and this lady. Inna Allah sami'an basir. Indeed, Allah is all hearing, all watchful. Umar al-Khattab one day was on, a, on his conveyance. And a lady walked by. Umar got off his camel, got off his conveyance and tended to her and asked her how, she, how, he can be help, how he could be of help to her. Gave her a lot of ikram, gave her a lot of honor. So the people who were around, her, around him said, Oh Umar, we don't understand. Why is it that you are giving this type of ikram to this individual? And Umar radiallahu anhu said, How can I not honor that lady who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heard him, her from above the heavens and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored her? How can I not show that honor to her? So dhihar then got nullified. That when you do dhihar, it doesn't mean that she will become haram forever. And instead, there's a method of getting out of that. But it's, it's not permissible to do that. A wife is a wife, a mother is a mother. How could be the, 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 the same? They're not the same people. Just like you cannot have two hearts, you cannot say a wife and a mother is the same. Here we want to stop for a moment and say that it is of extreme importance that we as fathers, and, or rather husbands, should understand, and our wives as well, understand what nikah and talaq is about. Some of us are interested in carrying guns. Some of us may already have guns. We have license for it. But you all know that if you don't know how to use it, then probably the first ones to get hurt from it are our own family. If you don't have it in a safe, you don't know how to use it, you'll get hurt yourself. Obvious. My beloved husbands, my fellow husbands, and my fellow fathers, you have a very, very powerful gun in your hand. And that is called talaq. Now, if you don't know how to use it, you're going to harm your wife, your kids, and yourself. And so, it is the, the jahala of the men that has ruined thousands of families. Thousands of families have been ruined today because they don't want to come and learn the deen. And they don't understand the difference between one talaq and two and three. They don't understand the difference between talaq al-raja and talaq al-ba'ina. They don't understand kinaya. They don't know, understand the difference between a very clear 
words of talaq that are very, uh, uh, you know, subjective and very, or very objective. They don't know that talaq, giving talaq in anger or giving talaq in jest all count. They don't know these things. Uh, who, whose fault is that? It's a fault of our society. Why are we even, why are we even setting the date of nikah? Why are we even showing up to the masjid for nikah when, the, when your son, your brother, your sibling, your, your future husband does not know? And this is a message to all the women who are listening to me. If your son doesn't know the rules of talaq and nikah, why are you trying to book the hall right now? Why are you trying to book the videographer and the wedding card ordering from Pakistan? For what? It makes no sense to me. You're buying the, you're buying the case of the gun. You're buying the binoculars. You're buying the, the night vision, all sorts of stuff. But you never thought once to make him sure that he knows how to use it. So there are thousands of families who have fallen apart because of this. One of two things happening. Either the husband is living in zina. There are thousands of these as well. They're living in zina. Every day is zina. Because they are haram upon their wives. They've given three talaq. I mean, actually, I've dealt with so many cases where when we're trying to figure out what the words of the talaq were, like, ye he's already said this tens of times. So what are you doing with him for, the, for all these times then? No, he doesn't understand. He doesn't believe. So this is a very big issue in our community. People have given talaq to their wives many years ago and have kids. All walad zina. Everything. Maybe this is news to you, but I'm telling you, this is very, very common in our, in our society. And then the second aspect is, those people who want to follow the sharia and now coming crying to the masjid to say, I didn't understand, I can't believe it, man. I can't believe it, I was angry. I came back home from tired, she said something, and then, you know, I got angry and I just said it. That's the same thing like, oh, I just got angry and pulled the gun out of the case and killed my wife. What? What do you do? You don't do stuff like that. With talaq is like pretty much killing the marriage. Now those kids who don't have mom and dad together, they're going to suffer. So many problems are going to happen. We're seeing, we're seeing the effects of that in our, in our society. Of single families, single mothers, single dads trying to raise their kids. Bhai, if this was natural, Allah would have made it like that. If this was the way it is supposed to be, Allah would have made it like that. There's a reason a man and a woman are supposed to get together. Because you need the, the motherliness and the fatherliness to raise a proper child. That's just how it is. Someone got forced into it. They, you know, they got divorced. Okay. But then, that's why we have a whole concept of getting what? Remarried. There's always hope in there. Why, why is it that, no, chalo, I got divorced once, so that's it. I give up. No. Our society also is making a problem there. We have to make it acceptable for divorced people to get married. Right? You agree? This, we have to create that environment. That's why if you hear in my du'as, I always do that. I said, Ya Allah, allow those who are not married to get married and those who are previously married to get married. Right? Because this is a very, this number of people who are previously married is increasing. And it's not just men, it's women as well. What's going to happen to those things? Look at how honest she was. If, if, she said this, she said, if I leave my kids to him, ba'u, zai ho jayenge. If they keep the kids with me, ja'u, bhuke reh jayenge. Allahu Akbar. Yeh, Think about it. Without the father, what did she say? Without the mother, za'u, zai ho jayenge. Without the father, ja'u, bhuke reh jayenge. Because the tarbiyah is the who's wadifa. The tarbiyah is the mom. And the bringing the money and food to the home is the dad. So when you have these two things together, mashallah, you, you have thriving kids. And when one of them is missing, you're going to have problems. So we need to speak about these issues. This is shadi season right now. Please make sure you, any, any, khanda, any, any, any relative of yours that you're, you're, you're going to get married. Saad, do you know anyone who's getting married this summer? Yeah? Okay, now you reach out to them. Tell them, hey, do you need to get marriage counseling. You need to learn the masail of fiqh. We have had fiqh of marriage and divorce taught here so many times. 
right? You can access those lectures. You can access the lectures from the winter intensive. But it's so important that people learn what is talaq. It's a fully loaded gun. And you only got three bullets, right? And, and you're not supposed to use any of them. And the worst case scenario, worst case scenario, use one. And that's it. The other two, you never ever use it. One person, he asked me to come perform his nikah. I said, I'm, un I'm unavailable. I won't be able to come. Oh, and I really insist. I said, you know what? I'll tell you something that's far better than me coming performing your nikah for your marriage. And that is you, you learn the deen. You learn the fiqh of marriage. He said, yeah, I already know. I said, no, I'm talking about the masail, nikah and talaq. He said, yeah, I already know. Like basically, you want to divorce your wife, you say three times, I divorce you. That's the one thing you're not supposed to do. You're never supposed to do that. Didn't I just say that? You're never supposed to do that. And that's the only thing he remembers wrong. He doesn't know anything else, but he knows this. And we're spending 20,000 on a banquet hall wedding. SubhanAllah, well, this is what he just told me. So this is the scenario. Let's please invite everyone to study the fiqh of marriage and divorce, especially the husbands and including the wife. Number two, that's not the only thing, the fiqh part of it. The other part of it is the practical aspects of it, of how to handle relationships. So that is the story of vihar that, we, that this, Quran, this ayat is speaking about. Number three is regarding adopted children. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, those who adopted children, they are not your actual sons. So Khadija radiallahu anha, she was gifted by one of her uncles, Zayd bin Haritha. His story will come later on in detail, inshallah. So quickly, Zayd bin Haritha was, a, was, was in, in one of the Jahiliya wars, was captured. He was a free boy, he got captured, and he was sold in a marketplace. Khadija radiallahu uncle purchased him and gifted him to Khadija radiallahu anha. Then Khadija radiallahu when she got married to Rasulullah she gifted him to her. To her. She, she gifted him to Rasulullah Rasulullah loved him immensely, took care of him better than any father could take care of his son. And eventually, after lots of running around, after years, Zayd radiallahu's father and brother ended up coming to Makkah. Malana Suleiman Mullah, our honorable teacher, he, he, he mentions this story in detail and he mentions the powerful lines of poetry by heart, mashallah. Like tens of stanzas of this poems that Zayd's brother and father, you know, said while they were looking for Zayd's father, Allah He was really, really looking for his son. He loved him immensely. He got caught up in a war and was sold in a slave market and he lost him for years. Eventually, he found him in Makkah. And he was so happy. When he went to go pick him up, he went to Rasulullah and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I will buy him from you. I will give you so much money. Just give my son back. Rasulullah said that you speak to him. Both of you, you speak to him. I don't need to get involved. If he chooses you over me, take him for free. He's your son. But if he chooses me over you, then I'm keeping him. So Zayd radiallahu anhu, he met his father, and I told you those lines of poetry. You know, you know, your heart will melt to hear the sorrow, the sadness, the jalan, the Quran in the father of Zayd. How he was searching like a madman all over for the past years. Eventually, he comes face to face with his son. He asks him, come on, beta, let's go. And the son says, nope, I'm going to stay with the Prophet I don't want to go home with you. Because he had tasted the sweetness of the company of Rasulullah and once you taste that, you forget everything. And uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, okay, if that's the case, you're choosing to stay in my company, you stay with me. And ever since then, he said, you are my son. And he called him Zayd bin Muhammad. So everyone began to call him Zayd bin Muhammad. But 
Allah Azza wa Jal wanted to break this habit and tradition of the Jahili Arabs to say that you can love someone, no problem. You can even adopt someone, but you cannot switch their fathers. A father is a father no matter what happens. And that is something related to divorce that we're speaking about. Yeah, divorce may happen, but a father will always remain a father. You can't deny that. You can never change. People, people ask me today, I don't like my father, or I never met my father. He had nothing to do with me in my life. I haven't seen him for 20 years. That's all fine, but you cannot change your, your you cannot say you, you are someone else's son. That's just not allowed. On the day of judgment, a person will be called by his father. What are you gonna do? If you don't like your skin color, what are you gonna do? You gonna change it? You don't like your genes, you gotta change it? That's who you are. So the genes and the skin color came from your parents. You cannot deny that. Interesting thing. Nowadays, you know, these type of discussions happen. So then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam called Zaydin Muhammad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, no, this has to stop. This tradition cannot continue. You, no one call, can, can, can be attributed to anyone besides to their own father. Allah has not made your adopted sons your real sons. So, all three things that we talked about. Allah says, this is merely a word uttered by your mouths. This is made up by your own selves. Where did this, all these things come from? You made up these things, there's no reality to that. As opposed to this, Allah is the one who says the absolute truth and He says none of this is acceptable. And He's the one who shows the right way. So what should I call them? What should we call them? Call them by the name of their real fathers. It is more equitable in the sight of Allah. What does that mean? Aqsat? It's more just. Allah uses the word aqsat, more just. What does that mean? The other option is just but not as just. Did you get that? The other option is just but as not as just. It's not like oppression, it's just not as just. This is the etiquette with Rasulullah. Subhanallah. Because Nabi Sassam was calling him Zayd bin Muhammad. So Allah is telling him that what you did, I'm not going to say vulm is, is the worst thing. It's that this is better. Isn't that amazing? Right? What you are doing, we're not going to say it was, is, it was completely extreme long. You didn't know. But the word is of etiquette, adab. This is better, more, more, more acceptable, more just that you call him by his father. And since he became known as Zayd bin Haritha. If you do not know the name of the real father, you find one kid, an orphan, you don't know the name of his real father, then what should you do? Then they are your brothers in faith and your friends. Meaning, just say everyone, his dad is a, is a slave of Allah. Just call him Zaid bin Abdullah. If you don't know their dad's name, then just come with a generic name. He's, you know, and treat him like your brother. Okay? Because whoever his dad was a servant of Allah, whoever he is. So the ulama say something beautiful. I like this point. They said when Zayd bin Muhammad, he lost bin Muhammad and he became Zayd bin Haritha. And he, what did he give up? He gave up his dad. He gave up his father. He gave up his tribe. They came looking for him in Makkah. And he gave it up to be in the company of Rasulullah. And now he's being told that you can no longer be known as Zayd bin Muhammad. You think that was easy for him? Right? Just imagine you're known as a son of Rasulullah. There could be no greater honor than that at all. And that was taken away from him. And some say, 
you know, the next ayah is telling us that, oh, Rasulullah, how could you be oppressive to this bichara? This kid, he gave up everything to be in your company and now you're telling me your religion says you cannot call him your son? This is not fair. The kuffar would say that. Allah revealed the, 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 the verse, Your Nabi is closer and more loving to every Muslim and every believer than any of you. You don't, you don't even think you can love Zayd more than Rasulullah. Rasulullah's love for not only Zayd, but for every one of you is more than you love yourself. So the ulama say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewarded Zayd radiallahu anhu with a huge gift. Does anyone know what that gift is? Yeah? Yes. MashaAllah. He is the only, only, only Sahabi whose name has been mentioned in the Quran. SubhanAllah. فَلَمَّا قَضَى زَيْدٌ مِّنْهَا This verse is going to come in the surah. When فَلَمَّا قَضَى زَيْدٌ مِّنْهَا The detailed story of Zayd is going to come later on. So the word Zayd, he's the only Sahabi whose actual name has been mentioned in the entire Quran. Allahu Akbar. He gave that up for Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaced it with his name in the Quran to be read forever. Kind of going back to what we spoke about earlier. When you give up something for Allah and you're sincere, Allah will replace it with something greater. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will replace it. Anything you give up for Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most definitely will replace that with something greater. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And there is no sin on you in the mistakes you make, but in that which you do with intention of your heart. So now if someone called someone their son, by mistake or someone attributed someone to another person besides his father unintentionally this is not sinful so whatever the sahaba did previous to the revelation of these verses it's not sinful because it was unintentional additionally ulama say that that's why if someone says to a random child my beta my son it is permissible because it's not done with this intention however yet it's still not the very best thing Ulama also mentioned this, subhanAllah, that do not, do not, you can call people your uncle, but be, be, be kind of careful of calling them your father. So that we don't, not to say it's haram, if you call someone out of respect, fine. But still, in the general spirit of the sharia, it's better not to call them that. You can call someone your nephew, but not the son, because gen there is a chance of, of people misunderstanding that. Not to say it's impermissible, but not the very best course. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most forgiving, most merciful. Now you have seen this, this combination, most forgiving, most merciful, all many places in the Qur'an. And I want us to think a little bit about this. First comes forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is to remove the punishment of the sin. Remove the punishment of the sin. And then mercy is when a person in starts enjoying blessings and rewards from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first he does maghfirah. He removes the punishment of the sin. And then he blesses a person with mercy, which he never even deserved. He begins to give him things that he never deserved. That's called mercy. Let's, let's read from Surah Al-Imran. Allah Jalla Jalalu says, The people who have taqwa, they have three attributes. Number one, they hold on to their anger. means to swallow the anger. Number two, they forgive people. Number three, they do ihsan. So the first level is 
when you get angry is you don't let it out. You just keep it inside you. You let it, you know, you just, just accept it. The second level is that you have the ability to let it go. Not on him, but just let it go and you forgive the person. The third level is ihsan, that you begin to go out of your way to be kind to that same person who became a source of anger, anger upon you. So this is, uh, subhanAllah, one of, the, one of the salaf, if I'm not mistaken, Umar al-Khattab if I remember correctly, he, one of his servants, one of his slaves, he had did, did something, he broke, he, broke, he broke something. And Umar became very angry at that. So while he, while he was there, the slave, he started reciting this ayah. He said, So Umar you know, started controlling himself. He said, okay, I forgive you. And then he led the last portion of that. And Allah loves those who do ihsan. He said, okay, you are free for the sake of Allah. So that was the amazing thing about Umar that he was known to stand by the Quran no matter what happens. Even in the fit of anger. That doesn't happen to us. If we're angry, if someone brings Allah Rasul's name, then astaghfirullah. That's, that's why you got to be careful today. When someone is super angry, beware before you quote an ayah of the Quran. I'm telling you this because people are not, a, their iman is not at that level. In that fit of anger, they may reject the Quran. They may reject Allah. They may reject the Prophet so we should not become a means of people becoming disbelievers or people becoming going out of the fold of Islam by us doing something not reasonable. People are angry. They say, but the Quran says that. Brother, this is not the time to speak to him about the Quran. Let him calm down. Let him relax. And then afterwards, you bring Quran and Sunnah and all that stuff. If your Quran and Sunnah was in your life, you wouldn't be in the first place like this. Okay? Quran and Sunnah is not in our life, frankly speaking. So now all of a sudden, you want to do cherry picking and pull out an eye of the Quran to reflect the husband or the wife? That is wrong. Instead, it will become a means of possibly making him say something which you and him will regret or you and her will regret forever. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the last ayah, The Prophet is closer to the believers than their own selves. This is, this we can definitely dedicate an entire session, you know, that this is a very important ayah of the Quran. Allah, Rasulullah is closer to the Muslims than, than themselves. Meaning, you have to love Rasulullah more than you love yourself. You have to love Rasulullah more than you love yourself. Umar radiallahu anhu's incident you all are aware of. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, none of you can be, be a true believer until you love me more than you love anything, including yourself. So Umar radiallahu anhu heard this and he was honest. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you more than everything. But not myself. That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa repeated it again. He said, none of you can be a true believer until you love everything and everyone. You love me more than everything and everyone, including yourself. So then Umar thought about it. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, I now love you more than I love myself. At this time, Rasulullah sallallahu said, Al-ana ya Umar. Oh Umar, now your iman is complete. So how do you understand this? There's different types of hub, different types of love. One is hub aqli and one is hub fitri, amongst many other types. One is the love that is based on your intelligence. And one is the love that's based on your emotion. So someone, someone, someone who is sick and the doctor says you have to have this bitter medicine. He absolutely does not take him. Who likes here to take bitter medicine or get a surgery done or procedure done? So we have absolutely no emotional love and inclination towards it. However, aqlan, from a logical perspective, we are willing to pay $1,000 for the surgery or more. 
We're ready to go visit the doctor multiple times for it. Why? Because we love to get treated. So now we love this procedure and love this medicine because we know in the long run we will benefit from it. This is called hub aqli, intellectual love. So we have to intellectually love Rasulullah more than anything and everyone else. Meaning, we have to tell ourselves that it is through Rasulullah that I, I understood who Allah is. It is through Rasulullah that inshallah I'm going to be in paradise. How can I not love him more than I love everything? That is why the command of Allah, the command of Rasulullah and the sunnah of Rasulullah, I will give it preference to even what my nafs desires. My nafs says, I want this. But would Rasulullah some want this? No. Khalas. Oh nafs, I'm going to deprive you of this because Rasulullah would not approve of this. Right? So there's much to be said on this, but the idea is, Rasulullah Allah is telling us, Rasulullah loves every one of you more than you love yourself. Hence, you have to love him more than love yourself. Okay, did we get this? Rasulullah loves you more than anyone else. Hence, the least you got to do back for him is that you have to love him more than you love anyone else. And his wives are their mothers. And those who have mutual kinships are closer to one another. Meaning, when it comes to inheritance, you're not going to inherit from your adopted son. Your adopted son is not going to inherit from you. Similarly, Muhajireen and Ansar initially used to inherit from one another. Rasulullah made this tartib. The Ansar wanted to welcome the Muhajirun, so he said, okay, fine. We, they're ready to give everything, you can even inherit. This ayah abrogated all of that and said, no, inheritance will only run amongst blood relatives. Those having mutual kinships are closer to one another for the purpose of inheritance than other believers and immigrants according to the book of Allah. Unless you do some good to your friends by making a will in their favor. Yes, you can give any adopted son something, but that's got to be out of your one-third. You can give a friend of yours something, but that's got to be out of your one-third from the bequest. You cannot give from your actual inheritance. This has already been written in the book. Yani, this has already been written in the preserved tablet. We may add a few more points on this section, inshallah, uh, next week. Before we conclude, let us, inshallah, one of the brothers requested, and I thought this is a good idea, that we should conclude our tafsir sessions with, with a little bit of dhikr, inshallah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الله 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 الله
ಅಲ್ಲಾಹು ಅಲ್ಲಾ 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 ಲೈಲಾಹ ಇಲ್ಲಲ್ಲಾ ಮುಹಮ್ಮದು ರಸೂಲುಲ್ಲಾ ಸಲ್ಲಾಹು ಅಲೈಹಿ ವಸಲ್ಲಂ ಅಲ್ಲಾಹು ಅಲ್ಲಾ 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 ಲೈಲಾಹ ಇಲ್ಲಲ್ಲಾ ಮೊಹಮ್ಮದ್ ರಸೂಲುಲ್ಲಾ ಸಲ್ಲಾಹು ಅಲೈಹಿ ವಸಲ್ಲಂ ಸಲ್ಲಲ್ಲಾಹು ಅಲಾ ಮೊಹಮ್ಮದ್ ಸಲ್ಲಾಹು ಅಲೈಹಿ ವಸಲ್ಲಂ ಸಲ್ಲಲ್ಲಾಹು ಅಲಾ ಮೊಹಮ್ಮದ್ ಸಲ್ಲಲ್ಲಾಹು 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 ಅಲೈಹಿ ವಸಲ್ಲಂ ಅಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಅಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಅಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ 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 ಅಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಅಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಅಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ 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 ಅಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲಾ ಸ್ತೌಫಿರುಲ್ಲ
we ask you to inspire all of us to practice whatever has been shared. Oh Allah, whatever beneficial things were shared, indeed it was from you. Oh Allah, and grant us the ability to impart it to others. Grant us the ability to embody it within ourselves. Oh Allah, whatever mistakes may have been made, Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us forgiveness for that. Oh Allah, we ask you to grant all of us the, the true understanding of every verse of the Quran. Oh Allah, grant us the true understanding of every verse of the Quran. Oh Allah, grant us a true, strong relationship with the Quran. Make us from amongst those who are regarded as the, as the carriers of the Quran, as the protectors of the Quran, and those who are protected by the Quran. Oh Allah, save us from any type of altered understanding of the Quran. Save us from any type of reinterpretation that is against the teachings of your deen, Ya Allah, of the Quran. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to make the Quran a guide for us, a witness for us on the day of judgment. Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to grant us istiqamah and steadfastness to attend the dars. Oh Allah, we ask you to grant us ability, Ya Allah, to, to become a means of others benefiting from the dars. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to make this dars a means of sukoon and tama'neena and, and peace coming to our hearts. Oh Allah, through this dars, allow any type of financial, spiritual, mental, emotional difficulty that any one of us are going through or difficulty with our spouses, with our children, with our parents. Through the barakah of this dars, Ya Allah, remove those difficulties. Remove all types of issues that any one of us are facing at a personal level. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to grant all of us the ability to become long-term students of knowledge. Oh Allah, we ask you, Allah, to accept our children and our progeny for the khidmat of deen. Oh Allah, whoever is sick from amongst us, Allah, physically or spiritually, grant all of them shifa, grant all of us shifa, grant all of us shifa. Oh Allah, keep this masjid abad, this madrasa, and this masjid populated by people. Ya Allah, allow your choicest best servants to come here and allow their sincerity to embody this place. Allow their sifat to embody this place. Oh Allah, allow it to become a means of attracting your special mercy upon this entire institution. Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar 